for tuning in. I am excited about this episode with Greg Whiting. He is an energy practitioner and he focuses on trauma-informed care. And he, he has a lot of really interesting insights in terms of energy work and some of the um, some misconceptions or misapplications of, of that work, which are, are really interesting um, paths to explore. He also talks about the myth of chemical imbalance in terms of depression and anxiety, which is another really interesting topic in my humble opinion. Um, so find him at gregwhiting.com. And now let me take a moment to point you to my amazing partners who are helping to keep things going here on the meditation conversation. These are things I personally use in my everyday life, and I'm so happy to partner with these small businesses, and I hope you get as much out of them as I do. You can check out my sponsors link on karagoodwin.com or in the show notes, and there are more amazing products and services coming that aren't ready to be announced yet. If you're into homeopathic remedies, you've got to check out Best Made Natural Products. I personally use them multiple times a day, and so does my daughter. I've gotten really into their tissue cell salts, and I love their first aid kit. Um, My daughter had a little cold last week, and the Aconite Napellus from the first aid kit helped to keep her cold really mild. And I started to feel a bit of a scratchy throat also, and I started right in with the Aconite Napellus, and my symptoms retreated like double time. Uh, The thing with homeopathy is you don't have side effects, unlike with over-the-counter prescription stuff, Um, and you also benefit the most from doing little doses throughout the day. There are instructions with all the products to easily understand how to use them, but you're going to get the most out of them if you take them like three to four times a day. I personally have not studied homeopathy, but the things that I've bought from Best Made come with instructions which easily help me to know what things target what symptoms and it makes things really easy so you can get 10% off on my site I've been using Viore shampoo and conditioner bars for about a year now I was really drawn to trying shampoo bars after considering all the plastic that I use and the extra water that goes into processing traditional shampoo I found Viore and I love that not only are they helping to reduce plastic and water use, they're also supporting the indigenous tribal people of Longshen. I have found that not only is Viore doing great things to help the environment and humanity, but the products are really amazing. I love the way my hair looks, feels, and smells. Their products are gentle and help to volumize and strengthen hair and even encourage regrowth. I personally love the Terrace Garden scent. It's really amazing. The bars are beautifully designed and even the minimal packaging is unique and gorgeous. It does take a little bit of getting used to using a bar when you're used to using traditional shampoo, but I actually liked that acclimation process too. I like giving my brain something new to figure out (laughs) and it really didn't take long at all to get the hang of it. If you're interested in podcasting, I highly recommend Libsyn for all your podcast hosting needs. I've been using Libsyn since the meditation conversation began in 2018. Libsyn is so easy to use. 
It's robust and has great functionality and it breaks up your stats in many different ways, all at a really affordable price point. Get up to two free months of podcasting service with code TMC when you sign up for a new account. TMC, the meditation conversation. There's a link, of course, in the show notes on my website and so forth. And finally, I want to recommend Podmatch for any podcast hosts or guests out there. Podmatch makes it super easy to connect with hosts and or guests who are the right fit for you. There's a link on my site to let them know that I sent you. All right. Well, thank you again for listening and enjoy this episode. Hello and welcome to the Meditation Conversation. I'm your host, Kara Goodwin, and today I'm joined by Greg Whiting. Greg is a healer who helps leaders and entrepreneurs heal the anxiety, depression, chronic pain, and trauma that they can't think or talk their way out of. He developed the framework he uses to help others through healing his own anxiety, depression, and chronic pain, which was rooted in trauma. This included an unraveling a severe spinal curvature and standing three inches taller today, and I really can't wait to hear about that. That's remarkable. So welcome, Greg. I'm so glad you're here today. Thanks for having me, Kara. Wonderful to be here. So can we start by you telling us a bit about your journey and how you ended up in a position to help so many people with their trauma? Sure. You know, I was introduced to energy medicine kind of by a, by chance. Um, you know, I have a dear friend who's a massage therapist who offered me a massage. This is 25 years ago. And I was living in so much chronic pain that physical touch just was too painful. I did not want a massage. Um, so she said, what about some Reiki? And introduced me to energy medicine, um, which you know I had never heard of. But I had implicit trust in her and, you know, jumped right in and realized I found something I didn't even know I was looking for. Um, you know, just this lifelong holding and this chronic tension and pain just started to soften and melt. And I felt like I was able to catch my breath for the first time in my life. So that was pretty remarkable in just that one session. And so, um, you know, when I... <laughs> I found when I find something that <laughs> strikes me like that, I, I jump, I jump in head first. So within a year, I moved to Seattle and I started studying um, Reiki um, for pretty much four years straight. And my teacher introduced me to meditation, which launched me to nearly a year in India. Uh, when I came back to the States, that kind of led to kind of studying yoga and Ayurveda I started to kind of seamlessly piece together all of these practices. And when I moved to San Francisco, I um, was sharing these practices with a cohort. And one of my students um, was a therapist. And she said, you know, I've, you're teaching trauma-informed healing. And at that point, I knew I was healing my own trauma, but I didn't really have the framework for understanding trauma. And so she invited me to be her teacher's assistant at the California Institute of Integral Studies, where she was teaching trauma um, so I can offer mindfulness-based practices to help the students. And so that's where I started to develop kind of the trauma and neuroscience lens that I'm you know, now applying to the somatic and mindfulness-based practices and the energy medicine that I 
I practice and teach today. Wow. Well, that that's beautiful and and really fascinating. Um, I'm curious about how for your on your own journey, if you want to talk about that, how the sort of trauma informed piece came into it, because, um, you know, with traditionally like with with Reiki, for instance, which you mentioned, um, you know, you don't necessarily need to go in. There's not necessarily there doesn't need to be a mental piece to it. You know, it's really just around that flow of energy. So I'm really curious about the combination of that trauma-informed healing and how that kind of worked for you. Yeah, I had found even in the world of Reiki and energy medicine, there was um, a lot of a lot of practice that was not trauma-informed. There was um, taking a deliberate action to cause a particular effect, to try to open up energy, to try to move energy, which isn't necessarily supporting the body's natural tendency to healing. It's trying to impose some sort of agenda on what healing should look like or trying to direct the system towards an end goal. And Mm -hmm. so, you know, the trauma-informed piece is really following the energy, right? Following the body's wisdom as opposed to directing it and guiding it. So bringing more of that, that subtlety and that nuance to really honoring, you know, each individual and, um, you know, holding space to support them just where they're at, as opposed to, you know, forcing them into a a balance that they may not be ready to integrate. Um, You know, in In the healing world, I've heard the term healing crisis um, and, you know, where people go through big shifts and big transformation, but it turns out to be what people then label as a crisis. And I I look at that as healthcare mismanagement. I look at that as too much too soon, which is often what trauma is, you know, a lived experience that's too much too soon for the system to fully be able to process, absorb, make sense of. And so I, I see a lot That's of that. That's a fascinating way to think of trauma. I love that. Too much too soon. And so I think that gets reenacted yeah. in the healing space, right? I think as practitioners, we want to get results for our clients and our students, and we can use the, the power of our own will to move energy. Um, and, and that's not trauma informed, right? That can do more harm than good. Um, although it can often kind of get big results more quickly, but are those results safe and sustainable or, um, do they, you know, create and do they destabilize our clients, which can actually make their healing, um, you know, a bumpier road than it needs to be. So how do you, what does it look like in terms of, because it's, um, you know, you're working in a space beyond the thinking and the talking, you know, when you're working with people, it's like what they haven't been able to heal through their mental bodies or through like traditional talk therapy, for instance, or psychotherapy. So can you talk a little bit, and maybe this is where you talk about Prisma, 
um, which is your framework for overlaying trauma, neuroscience, and energy medicine with somatic and mindfulness-based practices. Um, I don't know if that's you know, where we want to take this to kind of dive into that more, or if, if there's a better way to kind of talk about how, how you're using energy medicine to go beyond what we can think, think and talk ourselves through, but also not, um, you know, it sounds like there's still an element to that. Does that make sense? So I look at working in a trauma-informed way, um, helping, helping us make contact with our innate wisdom. So I'm not really focused on trauma as much as I help people heal it. Um, my work is to just help people become more aligned with their own innate wisdom, which is a term in chiropractic. You know, that innate wisdom is what heals a paper cut. It, what, it's what sends platelets and proteins and orchestrates all these biochemical transmissions. Mm-hmm. Um, and be- when there's stress, when there's trauma, when there's environmental toxins and hereditary influences, you know, our nervous system short circuits and we lose contact with that innate wisdom. So I look at healing as just bringing us back into contact with that innate wisdom. And that's where healing just happens. And so... You know, I I look at, you know, the body, the mind and the spirit as a symphony orchestra. And so when we're in balance and we're experiencing health, all the different parts of the orchestra are in communication and there's a musicality of being, there's a harmony and a balance, you know, so that's between our hormones and our emotions and our thoughts, our memories, our muscles, our organs, our endocrines, our neurotransmitters, you know, the ligaments, the tendons, on and on. And when the nervous system does short circuit, you know, all of a sudden some some of that communication starts to break down. And that's when we start to create a lot of noise and the noise starts to express itself as our symptoms and our illness. And so, you know, instead of trying to fix or heal trauma, we're just breaking up the noise. We're just, you know, we're just addressing the breakdowns in communication, which then help us return to our natural state of wholeness. And when we kind of remember our wholeness, we've developed more capacity to then make sense of and metabolize, you know, the traumatic imprints of adverse experiences according to our own wisdom and on our own terms and in our own timing. So then healing is more of a happening as opposed to a doing. Hmm. Okay. Well, so how, how, what did this look like for you in terms of your spinal curvature? Um, Listeners of this show, and I think I shared with you kind of in our earlier communications, um, well, Anyway, listeners will know that my my daughter has curvatures in her spine, so I always like that. Always catches my attention um, when when someone approaches and and has some sort of uh, experience with something like that. So I, I'd be really keen to understand how how that worked for you because that's remarkable that you were able wow. to um, unravel that curvature and. And which resulted in like a three inch difference in your height. Yeah. You know, 
So prior to me discovering this body of work, you know, I would go to other healthcare professionals that mm-hmm. would try to force my system into a certain balance, right? Let's adjust your spine to, you know, straighten you out. And so it was like this top-down approach trying to, you know, direct my system into a balance that it wasn't ready to integrate, um, right? It wasn't actually addressing, you know, the curve in the spine was really just the tip of the iceberg, a symptom. And so if we're busy chasing, treating, or suppressing symptoms, you know, we're, um, you know, we're going to have pain and symptom management at best. And certainly pain and symptom management are necessary at certain times in our healing, um, but they're not really addressing the causative root factors that are, you know, beneath the surface. And so, you know, for me, all of these practices, the somatics, the mindfulness, the energy medicine, we're helping to look at, well, what's beneath this spinal curvature, right? Let's start to understand what are the factors that are holding the spine in this, in this holding. Um, and while there may be some genetic piece, it's like the genetic piece is often kind of the flypaper for, you know, trauma to latch onto, right? And so if there's already a predisposition towards some imbalance, then harsh lived experience can start to compound that. And so, you know, for me, again, I look at energy medicine was helping to calm the cardiovascular system, regulate the nervous system, you know, balance immune function or boost immune function. So, you know, those three qualities of energy medicine alone are just really nourishing the body's innate ability to heal. Yeah. And, you know, the mind training that is mindfulness is helping us reorient our our awareness from pain to possibility. And it's helping to dissolve identification with pain, right? So if we're if we're wearing pain almost as a costume or a mask, and if we start to believe that we are that costume or that mask, it becomes kind of a self-fulfilling prophecy where we just become further embedded in that pain body. So the mind training is to zoom out and really observe the pain body, recognize that that is not who we are. And in that space, there's kind of a recognition of something that's perhaps more real, more authentic to who we are. And so as we reorient from pain, we can come into a place of, of full presence. And then the grip of the pain body, you know, that was holding my spine, you know, again, organized around trauma. So that was a lot of protection. That was a lot of guarding. That was a lot of hypervigilance, you know, a lack of safety, beliefs that the world is dangerous and out to get me. So, you know, I look at energy medicine and healing is really subversive. It's helping to dissolve these beliefs and these constructs of who we are and what we believe the world to be. And as we start to dissolve those constructs, you know, how they have a grip on our body, you know, starts to dissolve as well. You know, the connective tissue and fascia is what holds the muscles and the bones together. And Mm -hmm. so, um, it also happens to be where we store memory, emotion, and trauma. So mm-hmm. if we can start to 
address the residue and the imprints of trauma that are stored in the tissues, that's going to help us clear up chronic inflammation. You know, that's going to flush out the stagnation of emotion. I look at disease and illness as stagnation and health as movement and expression. You know, so energy medicine, mindfulness, somatics help us kind of feel what historically was too overwhelming for us to feel. So we can start to take up residence and inhabit ourselves, our bodies, our life. And as we bring in more presence, as we are able to land inside our bodies, that allows a lot more agency, a lot more choice. Mm, I love that. Speaking of all of that being stored in the fascia, the memory and the, the, um, the emotion, um, how important do you think it is to consciously connect with the trauma? Meaning how important is it to bring the actual memory to the surface or because there are some schools of thought that talk about it being, you know, like, oh, you can actually like, you can work at this at the energetic level and you don't have to go into the story. For example, you don't have to go back there and feel unsafe again or, or whatever. But then there are other schools of thought that, that, I mean, especially, you know, talk therapy, for example, you know, that's kind of the hallmark of it. It's like, let's uncover it and, and kind of get to it through talking so that we can even figure out what it is because it's something that we don't want to look at, you know, through our conscious, our, our, we're, you know, we're suppressing it. We're choosing to suppress it. So um, what are your thoughts on that suppression versus and dealing with it completely energetically versus the need to remember? Yeah. I think when we start to resolve it on an energetic level, it broadens our window of tolerance. So we have a greater capacity to be with what is. Mm -hmm. So then if and when it is necessary to process it intellectually, we have the capacity to think about it without it flooding our nervous system and without the reenactment and without the, the overwhelm. Um, Without feeling unsafe. Yeah. Well, and, you know, and I look at that's the paradox of healing. We develop enough safety so then we can process what historically has felt unsafe. And that's mm-hmm. where we can hold paradox, where we can be with wounding that has been organized around terror, that has been organized around, you know, that which we can't even name mm-hmm. and also have the capacity to be okay so deriving enough okayness to be with the terror that once would have been just too overwhelming to even touch or look at or name. And this is unique for everyone. You know, I had a client that, you know, in our first call, <clears throat> excuse me, had named, you know, some of the early, early childhood trauma that was impacting them and that was bringing them to, you know, our work together and months into our work together you know, they said, wow, I was just doing the dishes the other day and I had a completely different like relationship to those memories and to that person. And in our time working together, we never discussed that person or those events or that trauma. We were just helping them connect more to their innate wisdom. So now they have a different relationship to that experience. 
It's not to say that now we don't talk about different behaviors and beliefs and identity constructs that have been organized around that wounding. Um, But again, their body's guiding that process, right? Mm -hmm. So sometimes I'll be working, you know, energetically and a client will say, wow, I just had a memory that I have literally not thought of since the event took place at age seven. So sometimes the body's innate wisdom will surface a memory. But we didn't go digging for it and we didn't pull it out. It's like their subconscious was able to bring it to consciousness. You know, everyone processes differently. So some of us process top down where we actually need to make sense of things intellectually for us to then land in our bodies. Um, And then others process bottom up where we need to kind of feel our way through it in our bodies before the light bulb goes off in our brain. But what I love about, and that's kind of what I think a model that traditional therapy would discuss. And what I love about energy medicine is it helps us process multidirectionally. So we may process a memory stored in a body part, and then all of a sudden, you know, we start to behave differently, or we start to have different thought processes, or we may shift a belief, and then all of a sudden the physiological function of an organ or the mechanical function of a joint starts to shift, right? Because that thought or that belief was actually impacting physiological or mechanical functioning. Um, And yeah, yeah, one of the, I think the value so many of my clients and students find in healing is that we'll have a session and after our work together, I just encourage them to go live their lives and to actually not overthink our work together. And sometimes just to forget that they even, you know, spent their time with me. Um, Just because the more we are, you know, that innate wisdom that heals that paper cut, it heals that paper cut while we're having this conversation, while we're sleeping. So it's healing that paper cut without us having to think about it or analyze it. So the more we just get in tune and in touch with that innate wisdom, healing just happens despite us. Mm. That's beautiful. Thank you for that. And um, you really have a way with words. Like you have a, a really, really uh, gifted way of putting words together. I don't know if you've thought about uh, writing, but I'm like really uh, enjoying how you how you weave conversations. Very beautiful. Um, but also, what you're talking about is um, it, it makes me think of a. a a personal kind of um, multidimensional or interdimensional experience that I had where, uh, because sometimes I will just have these kind of rather spontaneous um, kind of uh, experiences. And one night it was um, seeing kind of my, my body or a human body as like, and and they were like, it was comprised of slices and the way it was like these, all these slices of a human form all put together. So it looks like one person. It was actually, I was seeing it lying like horizontal and I was, I was laying down. I I thought I was going to go to sleep. And, and then I, I started kind of not sleeping, but journeying, let's say. And, um, so it was like all these layers that were in, that looked like one, one human form. And one of the, um, realizations or 
the the kind of wisdom that came through with that. Um, what, well, one piece was just that we are like all these versions of ourselves and that even, you know, we're holding all of that within us. We're holding all of these different experiences that we've had across time, you know, including, you know, potentially like past lives, future lives and all of that. And it's all here stored in our human form. And I also understood, just like what you're saying with the fascia, I'm not sure I've heard that before, specifically with the fascia, with the memories and the, the emotions and that we're holding that in the fascia. Um, but I was, I had this understanding that like I hold information in my body, just using me as an example, because I was like, I'm closest to me, I guess, you know, but it was like, oh, I can think of something or someone and then I, there's a, a place within me that activates because that's where I like store that person and the same with memories and, um, and strangely, it was, it was actually, it happened to be my dad's birthday when this happened. And so it was like my dad flashed up and I knew where in my body, I think it was like my arm, like my right arm kind of lit up. And it was like, okay, my dad's like, I store my dad in my right arm, for example. And then it was also like wolf came up at the same time, which is weird because I wouldn't consciously put those together, even though, I mean, my dad loves dogs, um, but I don't see him as like a wolf, like what I would, you know, what we kind of, how we would maybe ascribe the characteristics of a wolf. I don't ascribe to my dad, but, but it was like, oh, I store wolf there too, or nearby. So it was like this and it was like, oh, and it was just what it was. It wasn't like, I mean, maybe there is meaning there, but, um, but it wasn't like that at that time. It was just kind of like, oh, there that's near where I store wolf. <laughs> and then I understood too, you know, oh, I carry everything in this body. Um, everything has like a place where it's stored and then I understood the importance of um, that things get stored there until I release them. And so it is through everything wants to be seen was how this was how I was experiencing it was that um, it can create blockages when we deny it or when we don't want to see it. And then when we do, when we do see it and we accept it, it, it opens it up and then it can be released. But until, until we do come into acceptance, then we just hold it and it just waits until we, and, and like you're saying, kind of until it's time or until we're ready, until we have the capability to uh, release it, to see it, to witness it and release it. Yeah. The, you know, the subconscious and the unconscious mind live inside the body and all the different parts of the body are organized around a particular consciousness and particular beliefs, right? So, you know, and we, we, this is demonstrated in our language, you know, we carry the weight of the world on our shoulders. So the shoulders are very much tied into the consciousness of responsibility. How we each relate to responsibility is unique, you know, and the healing journey helps our relationship to that consciousness become more neutral. But for some of us, we may feel the weight of the world and we may feel burdened by responsibility where others may feel very empowered by responsibility, right? So responsibility you know, can be neutral, but our lived experiences are going to then influence, you know, 
our behaviors and our beliefs and the emotional residue that gets stored, let's say, in the shoulders, you know, and on and on for every part of the body, right? You know, ankles are about decision making, knees are about taking steps forward. So, you know, if we are storing the imprints of trauma and the emotional content and residue of traumatic experience in these body parts, it's going to distort not only their physical, mechanical, physiological function, um, you know, the behaviors and beliefs organized around taking steps forward and decision making, you know, are going to become compromised. So that's going to make it hard for us to, you know, have be decisive. That's going to be hard Mm -hmm. for us to take steps forward. Right. Um, And so that's the healing journey is starting to really map the narratives we hold, right. The stories we tell ourselves, Um, Mm -hmm. you know, and trauma will often, you know, create a fragmentation in the storyline of our lives. And so healing is to create more of a cohesive and unified narrative Um, one that can help to uplift and guide us, right? One that can help to expand the aperture of possibility because, you know, the lie of trauma is we can't and it's organized around alienation, isolation, fear, and and healing is around connection and possibility um, and really psychological trust. And so much is possible as we start to develop that, that cohesiveness. And so, you know, kind of back to your question earlier, you know, sometimes that will, you know, take us to unearthing a specific memory and speaking the unspeakable. And when we can name victimization, it can help us no longer be a victim. Right. Mm. Um, But that happens for each individual in their own time. Right. If it happens at all. Right. And there may be other folks that are able to process something more on the subconscious and no longer carry that. Um, And it may not have to process through the conscious mind. And so there's no one right or wrong way. And each individual's own innate wisdom will kind of guide that, um, guide that journey in a, in a really personalized manner um, that honors, you know, what's, you know, the unique makeup of lived experiences that, are part of that person's, you know, life story. Mm, that's beautiful. I I'm really curious to know your thoughts on um, the chemical imbalance myth. Um, you say that the chemical imbalance myth is a dangerous lie. So I would love to hear your your thoughts and experience with that. Yeah. So, well, a lot of us. You know, in our culture, we've been taught that chemical imbalance is what's creating a lot of depression and anxiety. I don't even like to use the term mental illness because I look at mental illness more times than not as just unresolved trauma. And so, uh, and there's so much stigma around mental illness. And so I like to flip the script on that that what if anxiety and depression are actually a healthy response to an unhealthy world or a healthy response to unhealthy circumstance? but if we're taught that chemical imbalance is what's actually creating, you know, anxiety or depression, and then we are given a treatment to treat the chemical imbalance, it really gets in the way of us understanding that unresolved trauma and the lack of a secure attachment are more times than not, you know, contributing factors to a chemical imbalance. 
So if we're taught that we can just treat the chemical imbalance with a medication without actually addressing these other contributing factors, it's going to develop a dependence on a medication that's just managing and treating a symptom without addressing, you know, the underbelly. Mm. And so, and further, it actually hasn't been proven that chemical imbalance does cause anxiety or depression. And so um, just read the research isn't there. So, you know, I have a psychiatrist that refers patients to me. Um, he was, you know, treating one of his clients and she just no longer needed medication. And he said, what are you doing? And she said, well, I'm working with Greg. And to his credit, a lot of times I've seen clients who, you know, have no longer needed medications. And oftentimes medical doctors will just say, well, I must have, it must have been a misdiagnosis, mm-hmm. right? And to his credit, his, you know, ears perked up, his eyes perked up. And he said, you know, let me reach out to Greg to learn more about his work. Um, and so he sends patients to me with PTSD and complex trauma because he, he's recognizing that he, you know, his skill set is helping, helping people manage their symptoms, which again is sometimes necessary, right? So I, I think there's a time and a place for everything. I'm all for an integrative approach. And as much as I've helped many of my clients reduce or eliminate their dependence on antidepressants and pain meds and anti-anxiety meds, you know, many of my clients are also happy to kind of have a balance of medication while addressing and healing trauma. So it's not one or the other. I'm all for an integrative approach. I want people to find their balance that is right for them. Um, And yet, if we start to do a lot of this subterranean work to address, you know, the subconscious and the unconscious mind and the impact of trauma, chemical imbalance will start to clear up, you know, hormonal balance will start to clear up, immune function will start to become, um, you know, uh, come online, you know, the nervous system will start to land. Um, And as heart rate starts to, you know, calm, we develop, you know, more and more capacity to heal. And we just reclaim, you know, more of our own we just reclaim ourselves. Um, and so in that sense, you know, there's, there's, the body has a remarkable capacity to heal. Um, and again, sometimes medication helps us do that healing work. Sometimes it can get in the way. Um, yeah. Yeah. So yeah. Thank you. That's really fascinating. I, I didn't realize that the chemical imbalance issue hadn't, hadn't ever been proven. You hear it so much. There's a chemical imbalance. You, yeah, I just kind of took it for granted. So thank you. So how can people find out more about you and working with you? Sure. Yeah. Gregwhiting.com. You can learn more about my one-on-one work. And that's W-I-E-T-I-N-G. Correct. Yep. Um, and there's also a link there to prismamethod.com. And so, yeah, my online course and community is where people can learn kind of the trauma and neuroscience roadmap. You know, I find a lot of folks, you know, myself included, when I started, I was in therapy for years and I knew, you know, I was on the right track, but I didn't really know where I was or where I was headed. And so mm-hmm. having a map can be really useful to get your bearings straight. 
Um, the seven Prisma pillars are kind of the drop pins on that map, which, yeah, really help kind of help us understand this trajectory from pain to purpose. Um, and then the somatic and mindfulness-based practices to kind of use that same metaphor, I look at as kind of the GPS, you know, and they're helping us do that mind training to shift from the limitations and the identification of pain to the expanded possibility of, you know, of healing and health. And then the energy medicine component, you know, that's really the vehicle to heal the subconscious and the unconscious mind, you know, to, to regulate the nervous system um, and help us land inside ourselves. Mm, beautiful. Well, thank you so much, Greg. Thanks for being here today. Thank you for all the work that you're doing to help so many people through their own healing of their trauma. Um, it's so needed. And, um, and I really appreciate your approach. And I look forward to your book. <laughs> <laughs> thank you. Yeah, that's, you know, the, my online course, you know, the workbooks in there, all the all the contents there. So it's just a matter of reworking it into a book format. Mm. <laughs> Thanks for the encouragement. Yeah, my pleasure. Thank you. I hope you enjoyed this episode. I'd love for you to do me one quick favor, which is to think of one person who would benefit from hearing this content. Let them know you're thinking of them by sharing this episode with them right now. Thank you, and I look forward to the next meditation conversation.